think we'll get through John chapter 2 much faster, uh, the Gospel of John. Um, I don't know about you, but anybody in my family knows this about me, that when it comes to really anything, whether it's movies or restaurants or anything, I, I love knowing, and I know Dan's going to know this, I love the behind-the-scenes stuff. And Alice is the same way, actually. I love the behind-the-scenes stuff, the, the scenes stuff, like, if there's, you know, a, a documentary about something that I enjoy, I'm going to watch it. And it's not so that I can know everything about it, I'm just, that just intrigues me. You know, um, if, if I watch a movie, I'm going to look at all the trivia on it and all the different random facts so that when I show it to somebody else and watch it with them and anybody who's watched a movie with me knows that I'm like, a scene will come up like, hey, you know that that song that they sung is actually because when he was a kid and he was at, you know, McDonald's, he dropped his fries and then he wrote this song because of that, so that's why that's in the movie. And they're like, oh, cool, thanks, man. <laughs> that's cool. And that's just how Alice is the same exact way. We'll watch a movie. Even when we watch a movie together, it's like we're both like kind of back and forth with these random, useless facts about the actor or the actress. You know, there's a documentary on um, Disney Plus for all the history of Disney World and Disneyland. And it's like 12 hours long. And I, I could binge watch it. Like, you're like, wow, you're like an old man. Yes, I kind of am. I love that kind of stuff. I just, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. The commentary, you know, I haven't done it yet. But I know every time I see, like, watch movie with commentary, I'm like, I don't want to do that, but my wife's here. She probably doesn't want to hear all that background noise. But that's just kind of the guy that I am. I, I enjoy that. And today, today's message is from John 2, and it's about the first miracle ever performed by Jesus that's recorded. It's John chapter 2. It's, and it's a miracle that happened in a way behind the scenes, kind of a behind the scenes kind of uh, a miracle, but it started the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's the miracle when Jesus turns the water into wine. It's, it's, it's about a Jesus who sees a need and fulfills it. A, a Jesus who cares enough to save a young couple that's getting married from embarrassment, to save a party, really. It's about a Jesus who's humble enough to not need the credit. And we're going to see through this uh, account in John chapter 2. The scriptures are on the screen. If you have your Bible, it's John chapter 2. And we'll read the first 11 verses of John 2, this account of Jesus turning the water into wine. It says this, And the third day... And there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto the woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Verse 7, Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Verse 8, he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Let's pray and ask God to bless the message. We'll jump right in. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Would you use this message today? Would you give me the words to say? Lord, I'm, I'm just a weak vessel, God. I ask you to fill me this morning. Give me the words to say. Help me not to say anything that's unnecessary, but Lord, only what you'd have me say. Speak through your word, and God, speak through your servant, God, please. I just want to be used by you. 
Bless someone's heart today. Encourage someone's heart. Challenge somebody's heart through the preaching of your word. In the name of Jesus, we ask for these things. Amen. So just for information's sake, let's, let's kind of remember a few things about this. Because weddings back then were not like weddings today. Maybe in some ways there's some similarities. But, but I want to explain to you how these weddings back in this culture, back in, this, in these Bible times work. Uh, wedding celebrations in Bible times were like a week long. Now, I don't know about you, but I, 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 I almost lied. I don't, I don't enjoy weddings necessarily because you have to drive far, give something, and it's just like this long, drawn-out thing. And it can be tough. I love my wedding, and even that was a little long, to be honest, you know? Um, and I tell uh, the guy who did it, my, my pastor from Holyoke, like, hey, you know, you talked a lot. Like, that was a long ceremony. And, like, we were getting tired, like, stretching our legs up there. Good thing no one locked there. Like, they would have had, like, four or five people passing out. But back then, they were this week-long celebration where, like, everybody in town was invited. Now, Cana was only about 10 miles away from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So it wouldn't be, you know, surprising... It, that Jesus and his mother Mary knew these, this, this, this family. Maybe they didn't. Either way, the whole town was invited, and it was kind of an insult if you didn't show up in the town because it was just this big week-long thing. They prepared. They had all these things ready, and it was just this long celebration. It was probably an expensive deal back then, too, you know, um, because it was a week long. Obviously, things were much cheaper, you know, 2,000 years ago, but if it's a week long, you know, that's still pretty expensive uh, for people back then. So they may have known these people, but regardless whether they knew them or not personally, they went to the festivity. So we find Jesus at the wedding. He's here at the wedding. And suddenly, in the midst of this wedding ceremony, these festivities, a crisis emerges. And that's just like any other wedding. You could probably look back on your wedding. I can look back on my wedding and think of at least one thing that didn't go well. It didn't go as planned. Every wedding has it. For us, we probably had a few, but I'll just think the one that really didn't really affect me, but affect everybody else that was waiting at the reception. We decided, because uh, back in the in the olden days, um, 12 years ago, people used to take their pictures after the ceremony. I feel like that was how it was. I don't remember anybody back 15 years ago, you know, doing pictures and before the ceremony or like, you know, hours before. Now it's very common that, you know, the bride and groom will see each other before the ceremony to take all the pictures of their wedding party. That's not how we did it. Okay, we, I had, we had like eight people on either side. I can't remember how many exactly, but we all got ready in our places, went to the ceremony. It was like 11 in the morning, and, and we had this long ceremony. And then we went from this, we had the big receiving line, but thank God we don't do that as much anymore because that took forever. We had like 250 people crammed in this tiny auditorium. It was hot, and it was just wild. It was a lot. But we had the receiving line, and then after that, all the wedding guests went to the reception, which was in Springfield, Mass., about... I don't know, 15, 20 minutes from the church in Holyoke. Then our wedding party, and, and me and Marissa went to Westfield Mass, which is about 15, 20 minutes the opposite direction to take our pictures. All of our group photos at Stanley Park, it was beautiful, the weather was nice. We almost got asked to leave because they said, you're supposed to pay to take pictures here. And then we all just ran really fast away from the guy in the golf course. No, we figured out how we were going to make it work. And uh, we were there for probably three to four hours taking pictures. I, I feel like that might be... A slight exaggeration, but maybe not, maybe not. Well, I know it took a while to get our group pictures. There were so many people. And then we had to do our bride and groom photos as well. And it just took forever. But you got to remember, even if it took, Joel just said, I think it was about two hours. Two hours, but we're, we're about 40 minutes from our reception. Like, we went the opposite direction. So everybody's there at the reception eating little cheese and crackers, waiting for us to get back. 
We didn't know any. We weren't the wise. We were 20 years old. We were just having fun. We got married. We were excited. We were going to Disney the next day. It was going to be great. Everybody at the reception apparently was ticked off. They were just upset. It was taking so long. So the fact that we got there, we were like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And they're like, the, the people running were like, you need to come right now. Like, hurry up. We're like, well, what about this? No, no, that's fine. We'll do it. And they just, they just figured it out and made us go in. I don't remember eating that day. And uh, people, I think some people left. We had a little jazz band there. They left before we even got there. It was just, it was a lot. You know, it was, it was a lot. Um, but everybody had preferences. I was at another one where they ran out of everything. They ran out of food, they ran out of drink, they ran out of... We were, we were at this pavilion filling up the, the, you know, the beverage jugs with like from the water fountain because we ran, they ran out of everything. It was, it was crazy. And, uh, but every wedding has crises. And for this one, this young couple, they ran out of wine. They ran out of wine. And, and not only is that really embarrassing for a young couple at this time in this culture, but really beyond the fact it's just embarrassing, like, oh, sorry, it kind of breaks the unwritten rules of hospitality in those times in that culture. It was a big deal. Like it wasn't just like it was almost insulting to your guests if you ran out of things. So, so here we are. Jesus is there. He's at the wedding. He probably knows what's going to. They run out of wine. They find out. And and what does Mary, the mother of Jesus, go? I, I love this phrase. It's not like she says, "Hey, Jesus, can you um, take care of this problem? Can you you know do a miracle?" She just kind of tells them about it. You know, I, I probably not this way, but probably like lots of things that like the, the average typical mom that's like not gossiping, but like, can you believe they have no more wine here? Like, oh my goodness. But, but she goes up and she says, they have no more wine. And, and uh, you know, they, they ran out. And, oh my goodness. She probably didn't do it like that, but she says, Jesus, they have no wine. You know, we can look into this and think about this. Probably, more than likely, according to tradition, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, was probably gone. He probably passed away. He's not mentioned. Anytime after Jesus in the temple when he was 12 with the teachers and stuff, he's never mentioned again. Um, again, we don't know that for, for sure, for sure. It never says he died at the time. But you can assume as Jesus is about 30 years old at this point that Joseph has passed away. And more than likely, Mary, you know, rightfully so, is pro has probably depended on Jesus, her, her son, you know, to take care of her and things like that. And, to, and he's very dependent. So she, she, she goes to him probably thinking, hey, he can probably figure this out. Jesus was the son of God who was God. Lived a perfect life. So it's not uh, far-fetched to assume that as Jesus grew up through his childhood, through his teenage years, through his young adult years, that he loved and served and helped his family and those around him. He was Jesus. He didn't just start doing good when he was 30 uh, and when we start seeing these miracles. No doubt that Jesus served, loved, and helped the people around him. So it's not crazy to think that Mary was going to Jesus. Maybe not to say, can you turn the water into wine? Uh, but can, what do you think? What can we do to help? How can we help this young couple? The only idea, whatever it may be. And she goes, so they have no more wine. And as we go on uh, through the passage, we see Jesus looks to her and says, you know, woman, what, you know, what am I going to do with you? Like, like, it's not my time right now. See, Jesus knew why he came. He came, the Bible says, Jesus says, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose. That's why he came, to save the world from their sins, to die on a cross, to rise again. And when he says it's not my time, uh, what he's saying is it's, it's not time for me to really prove that I'm the son of God, that I'm the Messiah, that I'm, you know, doing all these things. And, and, but what happens? Even though he says that, like, oh, it's not time. And it wasn't necessarily time for him to obviously die and rise again, which is that final glorification, proving he was God, proving he was the one he said he was. But still, even though he says it's not my time, he still begins to get to work. And what does Mary say to the servants all around her? She goes, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. She obviously had enough 
knew Jesus enough, she was his mother, knew that he, he would have had to do something. He's going to do something. So what does Jesus do? We saw there in verse number um, 6 that there were six water pots of stone um, after the manner of purifying the Jews. Two or three firkins apiece, that's 20 to 30 gallons apiece, these giant stone jars that the Jewish people used to ceremonial washing before and after meals, things like that. These big ones. And Jesus says, fill them up with water. And I love that the scriptures, God saw fit to remind us and to show us and to put this little detail. It says the servants filled the pots to the brim so that nobody could say, well, you know, he probably just poured in some wine and diluted it, and that's how it was. They were probably only half full, and, and then he put, no, no, no. He, they filled it with water to the brim. And just another detail that proves that Jesus was who he said he was. And he literally turned this water into wine. And they fill it. They obeyed him. They listened to him. He says, draw out now in verse 8. Bear out of the governor's feast. He said, take some of that water out and bring it to the, the master of the ceremony, the governor of the feast. And they bring it to him. And the ruler of the feast tasted this water that was made wine. Didn't know where it came from, by the way. But it says the servants knew. They saw. They the ones that filled it with water. And the governor of the feast says, you know, honestly, every man usually, you know, brings out the best wine at the beginning and then, you know, the lesser, more diluted, not as good stuff at the end because people don't care as much. He said, but you save the best for last. You got to think that the bride, the bridegroom was probably like surprised too, like, yeah, I guess we did. Like, okay, cool. You know, wow. And he takes it and Jesus does this miracle. And then it says in verse 11, the beginning of miracles of Jesus, this is when he, really the beginning of his ministry, when he began to prove that he was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah. So here we are. We're at the first miracle of Jesus. He turns the water into wine. How does this apply to us? What does this mean for you and me in 2022 at Coastline Baptist Church? What's the big deal for us? Now, our goal, church, is to be like Jesus. That's our goal. That's, that's our purpose. To be more like Romans 8 29, uh, we're conformed, uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We're supposed to become being sanctified to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's not by, by us just, you know, filling out all these lists of things we have to do, things like that. It's, it's Christ, the grace of God in us, working towards it. But our goal is to be more like Jesus. And the purpose of every sermon that's preached, you'll hear it every time. Like, listen, we need to be like Jesus. We need to depend upon Jesus. Every song that we sing, that we worship to, it points to Jesus. That is what we're all about at Coastline. We, that's our model. Know Jesus deeply. Show Jesus daily. That is who we are. That is our goal. To depend on the grace of God to be more like Jesus. And when we look at this uh, passage and this account in John chapter 2 of Jesus turning the water into wine, we can make some ob observations about Jesus. And then in looking at the life of Christ, say, listen, to emulate him, I want to be like Jesus. I hope it's your heart that you want to be like him. I hope it's not, your heart is not just, hey, I'm saved, I have a home in heaven, my eternity is secure, I don't have to worry about hell. And because of that truth, because that is a fact, if you believe Jesus, if you're saved, you don't have to worry about hell, what a blessing that is. But I hope your heart is not only focused on, hey, my eternity is secure, and now I'm just going to kind of do what I want. Now I'm just going to kind of live how I, how I want to live. And listen, I'm sorry, church attendance does not make you a good Christian. We, we should know that. It doesn't make you a good Christian. I know there are a lot of people that come to church that really could care less about living like Jesus. About living like Jesus. I hope it's your heart that you want to be more like Jesus. And when you hear the word of God preached, 
wherever it may be, whether it's in your own personal devotions or here on this platform or on a podcast or whatever, when you hear the word of God preached and you see the life of Jesus Christ from the pages of this living book, that you say, I want to be more like him. I want God to sanctify, to change me so I can be more like Jesus. Because in this passage, we see some things about Jesus. The first thing that we see, think about this. Jesus lives in Nazareth, grew up in Nazareth. Cana, nine miles away, there's a wedding, a young feast. Jesus and Mary and his followers, disciples, are invited to this wedding, and they go. It's really easy to kind of just read through a past like this and focus right on that miracle and say, wow, he turned water to wine. But, but let's just think about this for a moment. Jesus went to the wedding. And I doubt, and again, the Bible doesn't say yes, yay, or nay, so this is just strictly just seeing the rest of the life of Jesus and making, you know, I guess you could say an assumption. But I doubt that Jesus was in the corner of this wedding party with, you know, two or three people having a Bible study. I doubt that Jesus was, you know, you know, as in the middle of the ceremony, stands up and just begins to preach, repent, repent for the kingdom. I don't think that's happening. Jesus went to the wedding with his mother and more than likely participated in the festivities of this, of this wedding and, and greeted the bride and groom and talked to the parents and spoke with friends and whatever they do at those weddings back then, he probably just involved himself in this wedding. That's not something to be like, well, probably. no, no, Jesus went with Mary. You got to remember, Jesus, yes, was all God. His purpose on earth was to come and to die on a cross and to rise again and prove and, and, and really rescue us from ourselves and rescue the world from our sins. But in his life, you know what Jesus did? He lived as a man. And he went to this wedding and participated in the festivities of said wedding. Jesus, we see first in this passage, the relatability of Jesus. You know, there's a phrase that, that has been floating around for years. I don't necessarily 100% agree with it. I think it can, it's kind of cliche, but it's, you know, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I understand the, the, the sentiment of that statement. And in certain ways, I do agree. Because God has called us to be, to be in the world but not of the world, to, to, to work jobs. And Jesus was the kind of God-man who... Listen, the kids, didn't, the children, it says in the Bible, they, they, they were drawn to him. They wanted to be around him. I doubt that Jesus was just this grumpy, sour-faced person, you know, that just like a lot of Christians can be sometimes. I have no doubt Jesus was pleasant to be around, that he could have a good time, and that he could joke around. Like, why would we say, no, no, he was just, we, first of all, we don't know, but we can see that, I don't think kids would want to be around someone that's just a, a grumpy, stoic jerk. We see the relatability of Jesus, who cared enough to, his first miracle that he ever performed was not raising someone from the dead, was not giving sight to a blind man or, or helping someone that's lame walk again. No, no. His first miracle that he ever did was saving a young couple from embarrassment, was really saving a party from dying out. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. I'm going to tell you, church, this morning, if you're the kind of person that can't have a conversation about anything but something that's spiritual, that's, that's a problem. If you can only have conversations with other Christians and you can't talk to a lost person because, well, I just don't know what I'm going to talk about. Listen, I'm telling you, you need to pray and ask God for grace. 
If you can't talk for five minutes about the Patriots, about the Red Sox, about the weather, about whatever it is that you're interested in outside of church with someone else, I'm telling you, God uses you to build relationships with people in your life. So yes, at one point you can share the gospel with them. But if you're not a relatable person that can't really talk or get along or, or, or spend time with anybody unless you're talking, unless you're having a Bible study, I'm telling you, church, that's not what life's all about. That's not what the Christian life is all about. Say, well, you're saying we shouldn't be spiritual? I'm not saying that at all. If you're thinking that, it's because your heart's not right. Because you're convicted. Listen, Jesus was relatable. Jesus could have a conversation about something. And church, we need to look at our hearts in that way. We need to look at, our, look at our hearts and according to this story in the life of Jesus Christ and ask yourself, man, do I have any friends that might not know Christ? Do I have anybody in my life that, I'm, that I have a relationship with that, that isn't a Christian, that isn't, that isn't a churchgoer? Or that, that doesn't know uh, the truth of the gospel? Because if I don't, and listen, that is very inward focused and very kind of us for, no more, big bubble around you. Listen, if we're going to be anything as a church and reach our community, we got to be able to just interact with people and relate to people. That's just the truth. We have to. Doesn't mean we compromise. Doesn't mean we sin. Doesn't mean we, we, we go against what the Bible says just to read, you know, Paul says in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, you know, uh, on all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Listen, people can take that and run with it and, and, and really sin against God by just saying, well, I can just do whatever I want so that I, that's not what the scripture's saying. But he does say, listen, I become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Listen, we have to be relatable. We have to be relatable. God is, can use you to have a conversation, to talk to somebody, to talk to a coworker, to talk to your neighbors, not just preaching from your soapbox all the time, but actually having a regular conversation about life, about life in general, about your hobbies, to build a relationship, to build some walls of trust so that, yes, you can invite them. Look, do you think someone's going to come to church just because you ask them? Maybe some will. But if you can build a relationship with someone and be relatable, God can use you. God can use you. We see the relatability of Jesus who went and participated in this wedding ceremonies and in, in, in this festivities here because that's who he was. We see the relatability of Jesus. What else do we see, though? We see, we see after, you know, Jesus are at the party here, and then we see Mary finding out they have no wine and coming and going to Jesus and saying, hey, they have no more wine. Jesus, we see here, obviously, and I mentioned it briefly, Mary obviously knew that Jesus was someone that she could count on. He was dependable. We see the dependability of Jesus. The dependability of Jesus. Mary knew who to go to. No doubt she knew that there was something different about her. Something, an angel had come to her and said, hey, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. She knew who he was. But beyond just that fact alone, that huge fact, this was her son. This was her boy. And she knew that he could be counted on. And we see that Jesus did take care of this problem, take care of this issue. He turned this water into wine. Turned this water into wine. And, and the servants listened to him. And it's a question that you should ask yourself. What kind of person are you? This sermon and this study that I've done in this message really caused me to think, am I the kind of person that people can count on? Am I the kind of person that people can trust? Am I the kind of person that someone can depend upon? That they know if they have a need, that they can come to me 
and ask. And I may not be able to, to, to fill it or to, or to fix it, but they know that they can at least ask. If you're the kind of person that nobody wants to ask favors from, you are not like Christ. If you're the kind of person that someone does not want to ask a favor for because they know that you're going to, you know, for lack of a better word, judge them and say, well, you know, if you had just done this, this, and this, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened. Or maybe you should have tried this instead, and you're just that person that thinks you know more than everybody else. Listen, if, if no one wants to come to you because of that, that because they know that you're just going to give them the, the riot act and just kind of give, give you, you know, preach to you for half an hour, why you wouldn't be in this predicament, have you done all these things? Listen, Jesus was dependable. Jesus was someone that could be counted on. I, I want to be the kind of, the kind of man that my brothers, my sisters, my family, my children, obviously, number one, my wife, can come to me and ask me uh, uh, a question or ask me a favor or, ask, or, or bring a need to me, knowing that I'm going to do whatever I can to help them. It may not be uh, the answer. Like, listen, if someone comes to you and, 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 and asks you for money and you don't have it, it's different. I'm not saying that. You, but you can still be, still be upfront with them and honest with them. Are you a dependable person? Are you someone that people can count on? Or are people afraid to ask you for anything? Because they know that you're going to either just say no or, or make fun of them or, or you know, tell you all the reasons why you're in the predicament that you're in. Listen, as Christians, we should be people, especially in our workplaces, we should be people that are dependable. It doesn't mean we're yes men that we just burn ourselves out by doing everything. I'm not saying that. I know there's balance. I know there's balance. I, I know people that, that when their boss, their boss knows that they're dependable, so they ask him every single time there's a, and a shift that needs to be filled, if they can work, and they say yes every time, and sometimes that can hurt bigger things, like family, and like church attendance, and things like that. I understand that. But I'm saying, being someone that can be counted on, are you that kind of person? Are you the kind of person that people can come to you and bring something, and you're going to do what you can? Jesus was obviously someone that could be depended on. We know in our lives, as Christians, we can depend on Jesus Christ. We, he will never fail us. Now, we're not Christ. We'll, we'll fail people sometimes. I understand that. But are you the kind of person that people can count on? Ask yourself the question. We'll say, well, I don't really want to be that person, but then people are going to ask me to do everything. You need to check your heart then. If that's what you're thinking, if your mind's like, well, if I'm dependable, then people are going to ask me to do stuff. You know, it's like the person that like buys a truck. They're like, I can move stuff now. And every time they want to move something, they're like, oh, I don't want to get this bed dirty. You know what I mean? Just, like, don't be that guy. Don't be that person that's like, you know, that, that you don't, Listen, if that's your heart, then you really, that concern with not serving other people, as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, who, listen, who was a servant, also he humbled himself as a servant, if you are that kind of person that never wants to do anything for anybody else, then you are selfish, and you are prideful, and self-centered, and guess what, that's me so often, I am that guy, that when someone asks for something, sometimes it's like, you start to think before you answer, like, how can I say no to this? You know, how can I find a reason that's going to sound like it's legit? God, help us with that, church. God, help us. May we ask God for grace to be someone that's dependable. May we ask God for grace to be more like his son, Jesus Christ, who could be counted on. We see the dependability of Jesus. And then this last one, I hadn't really thought about this until I was studying it and reading some things about this passage. The governor of the feast, they bring the water that's made to wine to the governor of the feast, to the, the master of the ceremonies, whoever this guy is, the big guy in charge. And what does he say? Wow, you saved the best wine for last. Nobody does that. Every other man does this. And we know that Jesus is not every other man, is he? 
He's, he's a God man. He, he's different. But the master said, hey, this stuff's great. This is awesome. This is better uh, than, than the stuff from before. I can't believe you did this. And what happens? Don't we don't see happen? We don't see Jesus say, hey, 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 actually, that was actually me. I did that. Because the, the, the master of the ceremony isn't talking to Jesus and saying, hey, great job. He's talking to the bridegroom. He says, wow, man, you saved the best for last. What a great idea. Man, that's awesome. Some party this is. This is great. And Jesus, what does he do? This is why it's a behind-the-scenes kind of, he doesn't step up and take credit. We see the humility of Jesus in this passage. He didn't need the credit. He didn't need the praise. He didn't need the recognition. That's the Jesus that we have. We know that Jesus is humble, but even in this simple story of this party being saved, this wedding being rescued by Jesus, we see the humility of Christ, who doesn't feel the need to step in and say, hey, 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 that was me, I did that. Hey, 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 you know, he didn't do it. You think the bridegroom probably super like, how did this happen? Like, that's kind of crazy. I, don't, I thought we were out, you know, but apparently we weren't. And Jesus is in the background serving people. Jesus is just behind the scenes, caring about people, about the little things of life, too, about, about the wedding party. That's the Jesus that we serve. He didn't go to the bridegroom after and just pull him aside and say, hey, you know, um, you know, I just want you to know that, you know, um, you know, uh, I, I, I helped out with that. You know, I don't want anyone to miss anything, you know, publicly, but just want you, between me and you, like, if you're going to get married again, make sure you have enough wine. You know, it's probably a good idea to make sure, plan ahead a little bit. You know, that's not, he didn't do that. But so many of us do those things, don't we? We do something, and then we feel the need to, like, tell some, at least one person. We may not stand up and say, look what I did. But, but we'll be sneaky about it and tell someone else to be like, yeah, like, I, I helped out with that. I just want you know, just want to be used of God. You know, just want God to use my life however I can, you know, and I gave towards this because I didn't see anyone else really doing it. And, and we have this faux humility, this, this humility that, that, that really fake, it's, 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 it's pride disguised as this, this humility. Man, may we not be like that. And I'm telling you, in your own strength and power, you can't be that way. We don't have it in us. We're prideful, sinful, wicked people. That's who we are at our core. But through the grace of Christ, we can live lives of true Christ-like humility. We don't need the credit. We don't need the praise. We don't need, we don't need the recognition. We can work behind the scenes. We, we can do things without being asked. We can serve our community without it being organized to the church. We can serve our church without the pastor asking. We can just get involved and do something. Whatever I can do, I don't need any recognition. I don't need any praise. I just want to serve God. I just want to serve my community. I just want to serve my family. I don't need to demand my kids to do this. No, I'm just going to serve and love the people around me because that's what Christ would do. And I want to be like him. Listen, God rescue us from selfishness. God rescue us from pride. That, that, that infiltrates the hearts and minds of every single one of us. Jesus wasn't, you know, jerk. He wasn't cynical. He wasn't, you know, judgmental. Just like, I can't believe they ran out of wine. Can you believe? This party, mine. This party sure died. Like that's that's not that wasn't him. No, instead of complaining, he got involved and did something about it. And, and in the midst of proving his glory, as the scriptures say, proving that he was Messiah, his disciples said, "Man, this is. We thought this was the one. Now we know for sure this is the one." He, yes, that was the the main purpose. But in in proving his glory, what did he do? He helped this young couple. 
He served them, and he didn't need the recognition. Church, you have to remember, through this message, yes, we're applying it to our own lives to be more like Christ, to be humble like him, to be dependable, uh, to be relatable. Yes, but remember, through the message, the reason we can even preach a message like this and hear a message like this about Christ is because we have a Savior. You have a Savior who gets you. You have a Savior who understands you, who won't let you down, who won't, who humbled himself enough to die for you. That's the Savior that you have. And because of those truths about Jesus Christ, that he is relatable, it wasn't he was tempted in all manners like we are. He lived the life that, that we live. He, he is relatable. He is dependable. He is humble. Because of those truths about our Savior, may we learn to live among the people that God has placed in our lives for the glory of God. May we be the kind of person that honors God by the fact that people can count on us. Not being dependable so that we can say, I'm dependable. My boss always asks me to work the shift. My pastor always knows that I'll do this. Not, not that kind of faith, humility, and dependability, but the kind of dependability that says, I don't need recognition. I, I just want to honor God by serving others. But listen, if people can count on me, then praise God because he gives me the grace to be that kind of person. Not for the credit, not for the praise, not for the glory, but for Jesus Christ. Church, that's the kind of Christian that we're called to be. Christian, what's, what's the first five letters? Christ, we're supposed to be more like him. And church, you and I both know that, that myself included, man, it's so easy in church life. And, in, and I'll, I'll even say in, even in America and in, in the American church, to just kind of like go with the flow of church and to come and to attend and to stand for worship and to do all these things and, you know, whatever it is that church people do. And listen, we, it's got to be bigger than that. We're supposed to be more like Christ. We're supposed to be more like him. And may we live that way. May we be people, Christians, that are relatable. Their core is like, well, I don't want to go around that guy. I don't want to go that girl. Man, all they, you know, every time I say anything about anything, they just, you know, they, they don't want to talk about it. They change the subject or they do this or they're just weird or awkward. Listen, may we be people that are relatable. May we be people that are dependable, like Christ. People can come to us. People can come to us. Listen, if you're not that way, it's going to take time to become that person through the grace of God. People are probably not going to just, because you decide today, I want to be more dependable. It's not like the people tomorrow are going to just come ask you for things because they already assume that you're not that way. It's going to probably take you being humble and going to say, hey, can I help with this at all? I see you have an issue. I want to help. Can I help? And becoming that dependable person that people can count on. And then that humility, the humility of Christ flowing through us. Uh, what, did, what did it say in, the, in Philippians? You know, I'm crucified with Christ, yet not but Christ liveth in me. It's Christ in us. We're not going to be truly humble if it's not Christ in us. It's just us trying really hard. We need Christ. He turned the water into wine. He saved the party. He rescued this young couple from embarrassment because he loved and cared about them. That's the God you have. That's the Savior you have. And that's the kind of Christian that we're called to be. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're the kind of person that isn't really relatable. You, you, you've kind of gotten so used to this religious life. Listen, I'm not against religion. I'm not saying that, but this, this where everything is just, you're consumed. Listen, can I tell you something? Church attendance and church life can become an idol. Isn't that surprising? To where all you care about is, 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 is church. And if someone's not at church, like, I can't believe they're not at church today. 
Oh my goodness. But I'm not cursed today. I'm obviously a better Christian than they are. You may not say those exact words in your mind, but that's the thought that you have. That's the heart that's in you. Remember, we're all sinners saved by grace. Church life can become an idol. Are you the kind of person that your lost co-workers enjoy being around? And not because you are doing things you shouldn't do. I'm not saying that. Because you're sinning or you're doing things that God wouldn't want you to do. But just because of your personality. That where the love and the joy of Christ flows through you. And you can have a conversation about the weather or about football or about whatever it is that you're interested in. Or, or you, can, you can be a part of a conversation. Are you dependable? Are you the kind of person that people can count on? Not that you'll say yes to something and then just kind of complain about like, fine, I guess I'll do it. That's not being dependable. That's just being a yes man and complaining about it. Might as well just not do it at all if your heart's like that. Are you dependable? And this last one really kind of, if, if you have a truly humble heart, then yeah, you will be relatable and you will be dependable. Because it's going to be about serving others and serving God and not yourself. This humility that we see in Jesus Christ doesn't need the credit, doesn't need the praise. Really, let the bridegroom take the credit on that special week, that special week of celebration. Do you struggle with humility? Do you struggle with not getting the recognition? I'll struggle with that. I'll admit, I struggle with that sometimes. Whatever it is in your life, whatever it is that you're lacking, I'm telling you, it's, it's not as... It's not just you, you know, trying extra hard to be dependable or humble. It's about saying, God, give me grace to be the man or woman you want me to be. I need your grace. I need you to do it in my life, God. Please, I can't do it on my own. I'll get prideful. I'll get lazy. Uh, I'll be, listen, I'll be uh, pious. I'll be prideful. God, I need your grace to be relatable, to be a witness. I need your grace to be dependable. Someone people can count on. Everyone in my life. Now, listen, everyone. I, I, listen, I, I need your grace to live humbly. 